computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Cranjus McBasketball. And Tim, we took a couple weeks off. After the Lakers got eliminated after those injuries, man, what a bummer way to end a season. But the Lakers are not alone. Injuries are going off left and right. Crazy amount of all-stars going down right now. But that's neither here nor there, Tim. We came back today because now we're going to do a little bit of season recap. Now, just kind of catching you all back up with where we were a couple weeks ago. If you just put the Lakers out of your mind, if you're already ready, like I am, I had like a week, Tim, where I didn't think about the Lakers. And then it was like, okay, I'm ready for to be back. Like, oh, but I have to wait. Fine. At least we have some offseason stuff coming soon. But it was going well. The Lakers were up 2-1. They were up 11 in the first half in game four. AD wasn't playing great. You know, I think he'd kind of... Um, not tweaked like two his for knee nine yet. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, he hadn't tweaked his knee yet, but he didn't look 100 percent. But mm-hmm. he didn't look like he did when he tried to force it, you know, in game six. But honestly, the way, you know, the, the Lakers bench was clowning on the Suns. And it's because they felt really that they had that series, you know, at least in in their favor. Uh, and I think it could, would have been a close series. Phoenix still maybe had some adjustment bullets left in the chamber, Tim. But ultimately, Really, really bad shooting and injury luck. Caruso is also out for a couple games. You know, KCP missed that game. I, it's hard to, and I think this is why we didn't pod right away, right? It's hard to, like, unpack a ton of analysis from this team got really hurt. And we'll find other things to talk about, of course. But ultimately, Tim, is there any other factor as big as, you know, the injuries? I don't think so. The injuries had to be... They were the biggest thing in the series, and credit to the Suns for grabbing a game, even with Chris Paul injured towards the beginning of the series. Because uh, that game one, if the Lakers won that game one, and and you know they don't have a crazy underperformance from a shooting standpoint, the series is over. And like you said, even going into game four, or it, they were up eleven in that first half. Um, I think their biggest lead might have been like thirteen or fifteen or something in, in that game. Like they. We're looking really good. I was really confident. And then even playing through injury, uh, you know, he didn't look great, but him out there was helping the team. And then, you know, one thing leads to another. He's out, which is the biggest thing. Other guys, like you said, Caruso, KCP missing time. That changes a lot. Like it went downhill really quickly in a way that I didn't quite understand until I was you know, reflecting these past couple days. Cause like you said, there was that week. I, I w- literally went on vacation basically like a day or two after. No, I think the day after the Lakers lost and I already had that planned. I would have been in Phoenix for game seven um, for the, for the game if it happened. Uh, but I, you know, took that time reflecting now. I'm glad we didn't pod. Cause it would have been like, ah, trade this guy, trade that guy, blow it up. <laughs> when something that, you know, has been a constant kind of drum throughout the year and materialized was if your top two guys aren't healthy, this team doesn't have a chance. And they they don't have a chance for a title. But this series still, they should have had more of a chance. There were other factors. And 
moving past the injuries, I think the three-point shooting was the next biggest thing. Only the Wizards have shot worse in the playoffs from three than the Lakers. They shot under 30%. Kuz shot 17% on four attempts at game. Anthony Davis shot 18%. Caruso, one of our better three-point shooters in the series, shot 29%. KCP, 21%. West, 28%. Schroeder somehow got up to 31%. THT and Keefe didn't, you know shoot a ton weren't in the games a ton but 20 and 25 percent macklemore who played in the series there were guards injured he was in there to shoot shot 33 percent uh gasol only only had like two attempts per game he was the one that somehow you know he shot 64 percent uh on that really small sample size and then lebron shot well a lot of it against that like under pick and roll coverage he had 38 percent on eight a game but if you shoot that poorly you're not gonna win uh and and you know, credit to the Lakers in some of the other games that they did win for getting to the rim enough and trying to break down that defense and finding other ways and other sources of shots to get efficient offense and the defense for playing really well. But once those injuries started to pile up and some of the tactical X's and O's things that were propping up the Lakers offense or were uh, holding down uh, the, the, the Suns offense started going away, it just all went downhill quickly. So the, the shooting just... I don't, it's hard to know what to take away from this because I don't want, like, if you rerun this simulation a bunch of times, these guys aren't going to all shoot that poorly. But the fact that they all did was just crushing for this team. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we talked a lot about the shooting most of the season because it started great, right? It started really, mm-hmm. really good from, you know, KCP and AC definitely had like elite, elite, obviously, you know, regression worthy numbers, but other guys had just solid, you know, trustworthy numbers. Having Gasol kind of average 35% from three at the center position, you know, um, uh, KCP started strong, West didn't, and then they kind of like passed each other. West started to come on. So throughout the season at the beginning, uh, for the most part, it was doing okay, right? But then the majority of the season, the shooting was bad and mm-hmm. it wasn't just that uh, I think I, you know, I can't just say it's because these guys were in the bubble. I, I can't I can't. Oh, no, absolutely not. I, I can't no. use that as a crutch in this argument. Uh, is that a factor as far as like injury, you know, wear and tear, just general um, ability to stay on the court on a, a you know, night to night basis? Sure. But just saying like, oh, yeah, he, he just didn't have the legs for five months isn't practical right so some of these guys just don't have the shooting clutch i don't it's not clutch it's the pressure gene of the playoffs yep you know and i we were talking about kuzma a little bit before we came on like i don't feel like kuzma took bad shots he took wide open shots tim Mm -hmm. right I'm sure his shot quality was far better than it was last season. We talked, you know, he was like the worst on the team, the the championship season. And he was doing the rebounding, the defense. He was doing other things. We saw him actually kind of as the season uh, series progressed, getting lobs to Andre Drummond, getting lobs to AD, kind of be able to roll this curl screen and, and, you know, like make a quick read and – hit some floaters you know back mm-hmm. to old school rookie 2017 kuzma but that wasn't working as well either so you know he wasn't there and, and we'll we'll talk more in the big picture 
people have wanted to trade coups for you know three years now this is the season that it's that it's actually probably going to happen and we'll talk more it's just as far as offseason free agent money the he's one of the only bullets they have but you know, I thought West played well, despite some of the shooting. He had uh, kind of a nice rally there in game six. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would like West back. I know even with some diminishing returns, I still think he can be a, a good guy there. But uh, what are you going to do? Trade KCP, who's already one of your best shooters, uh, THT and a pick for, I don't know. Give me a name of a shooter that you would feel comfortable with on the Lakers. Buddy Heald? Does that make you Buddy, feel better? Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald would have been one of them. It, so <laughs> the podcast is going to lag behind the Discord, I think, a little bit as this offseason progresses. Because uh, in the Discord, we've already talked trades. We've talked free agents. And we haven't fleshed it all out, of course. But uh, some of the names that we've come up with are Malcolm Brogdon as a guy with the Pacers who who might be on the move. Uh, Buddy Heald as a high-volume, high volume high uh, like not high quality. He takes low quality threes. He takes tough threes and he just nails them at really high volume. So that is someone that like, if you could trade the the first round pick and like KCP or Kuzma for him, that's a huge, huge upgrade in terms of having a like high volume, consistent, reliable three point shooter. It's a downgrade in other areas. He is not a good defender. And that's just part of the math you do. But I left that series and I think I'm still kind of there thinking, I'm willing to go out and get players that I know are a little bit worse defensively that I can count on offensively from a shooting standpoint. Because if you don't have shooting around LeBron and AD, it's not going to work all that well offensively. And I don't trust the coaching staff to find every like ounce of you know winning at the margins that there is. I I trust them on to offense. make the most on out of offense. the defense. Yeah, 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 I trust them on the defensive end on offense. I want to get guys that I know are going to be good already that we don't sure. have to fully optimize to see the benefits of. And all that said, these guys still got really high shot quality. We, yeah. the, I was looking at – I was able to get my hand on some uh, second spectrum data. Between the play-in game, game one of the series and game three of this series, the Lakers had like three of the top five or six highest shot qualities on threes of any team in the playoffs in any game up to that point. And they also had several of the worst shooting shot making performances relative to the shot quality in the playoffs. So like they weren't just underperforming average quality. They were getting great shots and then not just, you know, getting average returns on them. They were vastly underperforming the shot quality they were getting. And that is just so frustrating to see because you can look at this and say, yeah, the offense worked. Like we got the shots we were supposed to get. They just didn't go in. So Mm. moving forward, one of the things I will have an eye for is that more reliable three-point shooting because some guys underperformed, like Wessa 28%, Schroeder at 31%, Crusoe 29%. That's not going to kill you, but it's also not all that helpful. THT, we know yeah. he's not a great three-point shooter. Marquise it does Morris, when it's everybody, right? It does when exactly. it's everybody. When it's everybody, it really, really hurts. But KCP had been, you know, he's had his ups and his downs. We've talked about how you can get in his head a little bit from the outside. That's what it seems like. And this was a bad series for him, but 21% on for one of our most uh, you know, high-performing shooters on the year, that's going to kill you. AD at 18%, Kuzma at 17%, that's going to kill you. Um, right. But it's so what let me, could have been, you know? Let, let me ask you a question in a different way. And we'll move on. We'll break down kind of the rest of the series quickly and kind of talk – I think we should talk more about the the recent stuff and we'll Mm -hmm. kind of touch on the big picture stuff at the end and all sprinkled through. Right. KCP 
Coos and the pick. You you have two pieces that were a, a part of the rotation, one starter, one bench from that championship team. Mm-hmm. Now, KCP is very specific offensive and defensive roles, right? Yep. We have already um, made him into a star in his role because we've given him the tools to succeed at very specific things, right? Chasing guys around screens on defense. So we need answers for that. And I'm not saying that he's not better than Buddy Heald. He's not. He's not better than Buddy Heald. But the things that he does for this team as a defensive identity, it's it's a double-edged sword, right? Because you mm-hmm. can fall into the trap of, oh, we won a championship with KCP and Kuzma. We can never trade them. I know that works. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's right. never the same brew each year. It's always yeah. a little bit different. So – but you still, in theory, need what he, that did, what he did, in theory, in that defensive scheme around a team with LeBron and Anthony Davis on offense. He's a guy who can shoot. Uh, he's OK with not having the ball in his hands a ton, which, again, like this is the real world. NBA players like he was content with jacking up open threes when he can and chasing dudes around screens. And he buys in 100 percent. I love KCP. I hope they don't trade him. And I understand it would be to get a better player. Um, and I would admit that they're a better player. But what Casey but P buys into, um, like if you can go and get, uh, you know, a D'Anthony Melton or a, 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 another random guy that can do that. That's great. It's just those teams don't just give up some guys like this to me. These are the hard guys. These are the Caruso's like we didn't draft KCP, but. I feel like we like recreated his career, like through our, the Laker culture, especially once LeBron got there. Right. So I don't know if that makes like I'm just kind of a big picture theorizing here. And, and I just say you got to be careful as far as changing up the 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 culture, the brew of like Buddy is a much better shooter. And we need that. How else can we replace what KCP can do on defense and not kill us because that's going to be valuable against Damian Lillard, against Devin Booker, against Donovan Mitchell, against a lot of these guards coming up in the West. So I don't know, but he just sucks too much on defense for me to feel like great about. I, we're a defensive team and I'm just really trying to buy into that. Like everything we do and think about is defense first and, and Braun and AD, of course, like centered. Uh, but I just. How does that defensive role fit him? So let's so let's keep that in our minds for when the the free agency and stuff comes around. Or, or do you do you have something off the top? Well, just I, I would say that how he's bad on defense matters. If he is a poor individual perimeter like one on one defender, that's different than if he's really bad at chasing dudes around screens. And like if he's you know weaker rotating that's different from i don't know there are a bunch of different like roles on defense and i know from looking at our data his roles over the years has been mostly as a chaser and then this most recent year uh he was i believe a helper and that is kind of lebron's defensive role so from a role fit standpoint replacing a a guy who could do some point of attack some chaser type stuff with kcp you can't insert the wrong piece into a different role that's different from what he's been doing and is in a skill set that he's not good at and expect good results. But as we progress through the offseason and as we're looking at 
this guy might fit here, this guy might fit there, what they're doing can be really important. I know from a data standpoint, Buddy Heald off ball chasing dudes around screens has been okay. Um, Where he's been weaker has been the on ball defense. And that is something that I feel more comfortable with taking on because we've seen for the past two playoffs how LeBron and AD, they can get good mismatch one-on-one situations, but if the other four defenders are able to help and trap and stunt and do all of these different things, you can prop up individual perimeter defense or even individual post defense in a way that's harder to do when it's somebody's weak at rotating or chasing guys around screens or things like that. So I still have plenty of film to watch on healed and, and, you know, we'll get to other trade stuff later in other podcast episodes, but that is another piece of it. You know, just like we, we talk with the Lakers guys, some guys are good at some things on offense, bad at other things, fit their skill set to the role. And then you get the impact. We know buddy healed's been lower impact why is is what we have to figure out and that's the fun of the offseason and figuring out okay this is someone that either we can optimize and would be a good fit or like eh, it's just not a good fit um so i don't know that's the way i i will be approaching the offseason also thinking about the fact that the lakers only have a couple trade ships they only really have kuzma kcp the tht that first round pick those are the big pieces if Trez opts in, you have him, but he probably shouldn't opt in. And then Schroeder, a Schroeder sign and trade doesn't, it probably won't happen. The odds are low that that'll happen. Um, so you only have a, you have maybe one or two trades in you, max. Uh, and what you can get for those players is, is limited. And then from a draft standpoint, you just have that one pick. And from a free agency standpoint, if somebody walks, the Lakers for the most part, are replacing them with a minimum contract from a spending power standpoint. And then we have the taxpayer mid-level exception to spend. So you only have a couple bullets if you're the Lakers. So you have to like really make sure you do the right things. So we'll do plenty of hypothesizing, put out different paths forward. But that's another thing to think about. So some of these guys who we might be frustrated with now or we're frustrated with in that series are going to be back. And we'll just need them to, to up their game because it's not I don't think it's realistic to expect every like a ton of roster turnover. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like I said, if they were going to um, these guys we're talking about are uh, kind of the only bullets in play. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting back to the Phoenix series, um, Devin Booker definitely got going there the last couple of games. He definitely uh, killed him there in game six early in the first quarter. Um, but, uh, it was more, more than that just to me, Tim, it felt like, like the wind was out of the sails from the beginning of game six. And, and that was dis- disappointing. Um, they did like, rally, I guess at the end to make it competitive. But, um, by then I, I, my, my kind of spirit for this team, it had been broken and, uh, I, I don't know, there's, there's some play on the court where it's, it's. You know, not seeing Andre Drummond at all is kind of like, oh, that's interesting. We didn't see Andre Drummond at all for like six quarters. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for Andre Drummond going for? They're saying Andre Drummond wants to be a Laker. Lakers want Andre Drummond. But you know what I'm saying? Like read between yeah. the lines here. What does that even mean? So it was since reported and has been alluded to quite a bit. Drummond was promised a starting role in order to come to the Lakers. And this is something that happens. This isn't a unique thing to him. This is having, I've learned this more and more the past couple of years, being more on the agent side of things. Mm-hmm. This happens. Um, and, he, you know, they wanted to bring him back. 
longer term. And because of that, they kind of stuck to that promise. And part of what has made the Lakers an appealing place to go, in addition to all of the other things we know about L.A., is they've treated players really well. And we've talked about this on the pod and, you know, how they handled Kobe, the Kobe situation, how they're, they've handled other players. This isn't the Celtics trading Isaiah Thomas. This is why they, they get the stars. That's huh? why they get the stars. People yeah. think it's just L.A. and just like the league's rigged for the Lakers. And I'm saying like this is the Lakers exceptionalism podcast. Yes. Yeah. But we listen to this team. We love this team. I'm sorry to interrupt you. It's just that that's why the stars come here because we yep. take care of them. You got Jordan fucking Farmar appeared on Spectrum Sportsnet. What is Jordan Farmar going to do? Yeah. Yeah. They, we, the Lakers take care. It's, it's the mom and pop shop. They're going to take care of you if, if you know. You, you do what you're supposed to do. Uh, where I sensed some angst earlier before the playoffs was if that promise was true, which it ended up being, how long will the Lakers stick to that before they – like if there's a situation where they need to pivot, will they pivot in time? Last playoffs, we saw JaVale starting that whole regular season, and then once it got to the playoffs, things changed. This seemed different, and it ended up being different. Now, the it, it's really, really easy to look at just like net ratings and say, "Ha ha!" You know, the Drummond group it did work. The like Gasol group didn't work. The Trez group didn't work. Anthony Davis at the five rarely happened. I'm, I would have loved to see more of that. But there were when you dig into why things happened, uh, some of that falls apart a little bit. But to answer your question. I think moving forward, the Lakers may want him back. And that could explain why they acted the way they did. He said, I th- was it on Instagram Live or somewhere? He said he's not taking them in. Uh, how, or in but in a, how, how do they pay him? The only option, they, they'd have to give him either the f- full, all of it or part of their taxpayer the mid-level taxpayer exception. Mid-level. And, and if they do that and they just basically run everything back, yeah. I don't feel great. <laughs> it wouldn't be close to the top of my, like, here's how I would spend money standpoint. Because like when we think about what Drummond brought and what you would lose without him, I think the offensive rebounding for sure, legitimate, like that's where he adds his value. We can get other centers that can finish well at the rim and that can finish better than Drummond at the rim. We can find guys to play drop coverage or play mobile screen coverages yes. probably a bit better than him. There, yeah. A lot of what he does can be replaceable. The, the, the playmaking from him, that is a differentiating skill set. It was important when LeBron and AD were injured. Once we got to the playoffs, once these guys were back, we didn't really see that used. So that, that skill set, maybe you don't replace it. Maybe you don't even need to replace it. So a lot. When I look at Drummond or just any big in general, whether it's a trade target, if you're looking at trading for Miles Turner versus Malcolm Brogdon versus Buddy Heald versus whoever, whether it's a trade and you only have a couple trade pieces or it's that one bullet you have to spend in free agency, I'm going to my, – my default position, and it can change based on the player, but my default position will be I'd rather spend what I have on the guard and wing side of things knowing that we can get – cheap bigs that can like they're not going to do everything of course but you can find a cheap big that can block shots and finish lobs or you can find a cheap big that can space the floor and and play a mobile screen coverage or two you're not going to find guys that do it all but you can go more towards that versatility by having a stable of options approach that the lakers had two pre uh post seasons ago that was really helpful for them so that is 
what would keep me if I'm the Lakers from going after Drummond. Now, if he'll take the minimum, I'll have him back. I think he'll add excess value for what he'd provide. My thing there would be you can't promise him a starting role at that point uh, or, or have, you know, you, you can't have a relationship with a player that can inhibit you from performing if they're not pulling their weight. Um, yeah. So that would be the only thing I'd worry about. Given the circumstance, I'm not sure he's back. Uh, and if he is back and the Lakers spent their their MLE on him, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit worried. Absolutely. I mean, OK, so I mean, just to lay it out there, right, you got to bring back. You got to bring back Caruso, mm-hmm. right? You got to you got to re-sign THT. You have restricted rights. Um, you can do some of that using Berg rights, right? So that helps. Caruso can get like 11 or something. I think THT mm-hmm. can get like 10. So it's kind of works like everyone else on the team is kind of making around the same 10 to 13 million a year or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Trez could opt in. I agree. I think he it would be a mistake for him. Uh, mm-hmm. But he could. Uh, you also have Markeef, who is on a one-year minimum. I actually think he'd be down to come back for a one-year minimum. He wasn't great. I don't know if any, many teams want him. You know, he's in L.A. Yeah. Uh, Marcus is in L.A. And getting, you know, paid, like, directly. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, splitting that with Markeef. So you got Wes, who we both want back, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. He, he was on the biannual exception, so he'll have to take a pay cut to come back uh, yep. on the minimum. Or do you get bird rides through first year of biannual? No, I don't believe yeah, so. I don't so think he'd so be either. a min guy. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm OK if the Lakers don't bring him back. He's getting older. He didn't have a good shooting year. The, the older part will hurt his defense. But we saw him perform pretty well, other than like the threes not falling in the playoffs. So he's someone that I'd be OK having back. Um yeah. And so you got a lot of decisions, right? So along mm-hmm. those that I just mapped out, like Caruso, THT, those are important, right? Whatever you do with THT, uh, you got to figure it out before free agency, right? Yep. So that you, you know, maybe you have to trade your draft pick with him. So you mm-hmm. have to kind of know what your plan is for free agency, including Andre Drummond. So if Andre Drummond is a priority, you can't trade guys to open cap space to give him more money if he is a priority Mm -hmm. so the best the lakers can do is if i turn the table and i'm andre drummond straight up not good enough for me right because the buy the taxpayer mle is like what like five and a half million yeah yeah something it's like half the mle something like that Mm -hmm. so if he says, I'm going to do a prove it deal on this one year, you know, taxpayer, MLE, uh, that's fine. But then that would be Andre Drummond's side coming to the middle instead of the Lakers, because Lakers don't have the ability to trade guys or just let Schroeder walk. They let Schroeder walk. Cap space doesn't just appear to pay Drummond. So yep. it's it, even if Shru- uh, Trez opts out. All the thing, the kind of dominoes, Mark Gasol retires. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even if it all maps out the same way, the Lakers can't even come to make a bad decision and overpay Andre Drummond. Exactly. Well, exactly. I think the taxpayer MLE is overpaying him. But, that, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's a relative. Like, it will be, I mean, in, in general, Andre Drummond for five mil. Like, yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> Given that it's the LA's only spending power. Exactly. No, absolutely not. Right. But just like you're saying, like we're at a situation where whether you want somebody back or not, if you want Schroeder back or not, if you want Trez back or not, if you want Gasol back or not, 
you should still want them to opt in, to re-sign, to not retire. Because if you don't get Montrez Harrell, you're going to have to replace him with a minimum uh, money player. And you're not going to find minimum money players better than Montrez Harrell for the most part. Or just I, I don't want to like talk in absolutes, but I'm pretty sure we're not going to find someone better than what Trez brings at the minimum. Um, Definitely. You know, Gasol's money's pretty low to start with, so that's not a huge drop-off. But Schroeder and Trez, THT, Caruso, these are guys that... Whether you want them on the court next year or not, we want them on the roster once it gets time to trade guys or make decisions um, and maybe even end up playing. Because I'd rather have one of those guys on my bench than pick random, you know, the the, the 18th wing that's available on the market or something like that that we're paying $2 million or whatever. Yep. So, yeah, um, I don't know. We, we actually ended up talking way more big picture than I intended. That's probably my bad. I'm, I'm, I'm getting all big picture. Tim, if you want to break it down, kind of what you some last, saw in the last few games of the Phoenix series that wasn't Anthony Davis being injured, that wasn't, you know, the, the Lakers role players forgetting how to shoot the basketball. Mm-hmm. There is some strategy stuff that definitely, you know, didn't make me, you know, feel worried about Frank. I think the talk about him, like not being the coach, is fucking crazy. But yeah. it wasn't as smooth and, um, you know, natural. I, I don't know. Just it just didn't look as good as last year. Right. And before before we get into that, like the Lakers should not fire Frank Vogel. If you fire a championship coach the year after he wins the championship, like we talk about the Lakers taking care of guys and and how that impacts who wants to come there. That is not happening. What coach is going and and like, yeah, I really want to work for this team. They just had a guy win the title and then they, you know, shoved him out the door because he had a couple injuries like that's that is not the way to operate from a people standpoint. That's a no go absolutely a no-go yeah. and like we can joke around like oh tim's a machine stuff like that no <laughs> like the people side of this matters and v- what vogel brings is is a lot of good virtues and skills and knowledge abilities all that i think we'll have a pod later on maybe in a, a week or two where we dig into what coaching staff changes we might see from an assistant standpoint but he yeah he's he will stay and he should stay yeah, now, that's the shit you see on Twitter that's like not actually ever going to happen in real life. So just don't yeah, think exactly. it's real. Yeah. And so digging into really what kind of turned tactically, because the injuries happened, the shooting was poor the whole time. But what turned tactically was was baffling to me. It was like, uh, like have you taken it, an exam or, or a test or something where you're allowed to bring like a cheat sheet? And you, you know, yeah, you, you, yeah. You, I try to fit as much in that one piece of paper as I possibly yeah. can. Yeah, you get a magnifying Lakers, glass. Yeah, it, it literally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, calculus is hard, and, and <laughs> when I took it in high school, um, the Lakers basically built up that cheat sheet for the first three games of the series, and. You know, they didn't go into we talked about this. They didn't go into game yeah. one running what we thought might have been the optimal approach, but they figured things out as they went along. They were being double teamed in the post. They didn't counter it really at all in game one. They countered it a little bit more in game two. Game three, they countered it a bunch. In game four, they countered it a lot. And that changed the way the Suns defended them. And it unlocked LeBron and AD in ways that that we didn't get to see as much earlier in the season or or series or later in the series. We saw the Lakers um 
start changing the way they use their dump off bigs instead of having Anthony Davis or Drummond in the dunker spot as the the defense is loading up against an ISO or a post up where a lot of times the Suns would have two guys at the elbows, two guys at the blocks. They made like a, a little rectangle instead of standing kind of, you know, out of the play, the Lakers started having Anthony Davis flash to the middle of that catch the ball, finish Drummond, catch the ball, finish same thing. Didn't really matter who it was. Trez could do the same thing. Um, the Lakers went away from that. They just stopped doing that. It worked really well. We saw the Lakers win game three. A big part of it was because of that. And then it just didn't happen. And it you don't need Anthony Davis in the game to do that. They just went away from it. The the countering post help just completely went away from it. And then we saw the double teams come and the Lakers not counter and it looked ugly. Uh, another thing was the trapping ball screens, which from pre-series we said we'd love to see this we didn't really get to see it until the Lakers were freaking down 20 in some of these games and then it worked and then they go on a run and but it's it's too late stuff like that is is frustrating where it's like they had the answer but they forgot they had it or they like forgot to bring that cheat sheet to the to the test um and my I mean our sentiment going into game four was like yeah like the Lakers have figured some stuff out like I don't I literally do not know what the Suns will do to counter And to this day, the Suns didn't counter. The Lakers just stopped pressing the advantage. And you could, you're not going to win a title without a, a healthy LeBron and AD, but you could have won this series with the personnel as it was, even with the shooting not being great, if you would have given yourself more of an advantage. If you're able to get shots at the rim consistently through getting true 1v1 post ups, through attacking, you know, that middle of the Suns defense, um, those sorts of things. You know, you can underperform shooting at the rim and you're still going to shoot 60%, 70%. That's different from, oh man, we can't hit threes. I guess we'll keep taking threes. Um, so those sorts of things do matter. Maybe it wouldn't have been enough, but you didn't give yourself a chance to win this series without having, like with the Suns having tactical edges all over the place. So that was really frustrating for me to see. We saw, we talked about the LeBron and Gasol 4-5 combo and how, how that was really exciting, how the Suns couldn't stop it. And then the Lakers didn't use it, or when they did go to that group, they didn't run those same sorts of attacks, um, or they they did pull it out later, I think, in game six, when, again, they were down 20. They went to it, and it worked really well. Just little things like that really, really irked me, because you can leave this series saying, I don't know how the Suns would have stopped this, this, this. We had this shut down. We had that shut down. Well, what happened? Oh, <laughs> we stopped doing those things. It wasn't them countering stuff. So that to me is the most frustrating piece of the series because sometimes guys don't shoot well sometimes guys get hurt that happens yeah getting your approach is the part that like that infuriates me that makes me really really upset and uh yeah I mean, i'll leave it, it there it wasn't just the you know like i said the the last six quarters of the series that felt like the f- pure we we have nothing left to lose right Mm -hmm. kind of that's when to your analogy like you start playing war and you're just throwing fucking cards out right yeah just to see everyone used in game six everyone except for drummond they threw everything at the wall that's the issue with that is that basketball is is chaos and a really great offensive player can beat really really great defense and so the result looks like, right, that the, that it's really bad, but the, the actual defense was good. 
Yep. You know what I'm saying? So so this is not enough sample for all these. So you're just making rash decisions in a consecutive fashion. Yeah. And so it that's what I feel like this team kind of got like AD went out and it feels like in that game four, they're like, all right, we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to be OK. We're going to play our game. And, and it just it felt fell through their hands in that second half. Yeah, it was really disappointing. Uh, and this was a series that in a lot of ways, if you didn't watch it or you, you, you watched it, but you didn't really dig into some of the game within the game, you can look at lineup stuff or, or net ratings and just be like, oh, this worked, this didn't work, this guy sucked, this guy was awesome. And when you dig into truly what was going on, we realize that there's so much more happening. Like th- another analogy would be like looking at the post efficiencies for the Lakers players this year everybody's went down for the most part like Trez was bad AD wasn't all that good LeBron was pretty good um Drummond was awful like those weren't good but a big piece of that was like why why did that happen why did these guys not perform well this year because the Lakers didn't counter the post help that matters and and like me literally tracking every single pick and roll for the whole series on Phoenix's end I have the data in front of me that says like yeah Gasol and and, and uh, Drummond, they were doing a pretty good job in drop coverage uh, when the Suns weren't running a play specifically to beat that. Um, like they were doing a decent job. But when you are watching the game live and you see the Suns go at Gasol four or five times in a row and score, that ingrains in your brain like, oh, this guy can't play or things like that, where in reality, some of it was set plays, some of it, the shots went in. Bigger picture, it was it was OK, but I don't know. Just shooting luck in general. The Lakers were super unlucky. Um, the the LeBron, AD, Gasol group opponent shot seventy percent on threes against. Like, like just stuff like that. Like you can't look at it, it, the Drummond, uh, AD, LeBron lineup. Um, what was it? Their three point shooting was like thirty five percent. But for the the team as a whole, other than with that grouping, the team shot like twenty five percent. So there was like some some luck in the opposite direction there. So it. You have to what I would say is don't just look at the results and say this worked, this didn't work. We need to trade this guy. We need to cut that guy. Things like that. There's more going on. That's what this podcast is about. And this is why my website literally has pages to like luck adjust things or stabilize small samples because we know that these are not reliable indicators. And if you're not digging into the game and can't you know, explain those factors, it's really easy to draw the wrong conclusions. And to your point, the team in game in series was going in a bunch of different directions. And I don't know if numbers had something to do with that, or they just weren't sure what, you know, what things to be using, but it was, it was a frustrating way to go out. For sure. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and uh, talk a little bit more about big picture, who we want back, who we don't, and uh, just kind of, See where we're feeling going into the offseason. Be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Okay, and we're back. So we're going to put LeBron and AD over here in the corner because they're the, those are the dudes. Of course, you want those guys on your team. Now, I'm going to neg these dudes, Tim. I'm going to play devil's advocate. And I'm going to try and not, I'm going to try and take the Homer hat off and just okay. be, a, you know, not Laker exceptionalist. You really feel comfortable paying a, a one way guard, $11 million, Alex Caruso. Is a defensive player. Is this a wise use of your resources on a team as clearly limited offensive potential right now to pay Alex Caruso 11 million? We both want him back. I'm just saying 11 million for a guy who plays defense. I say yes. He is the Lakers' most versatile guard defender. He is one of the most versatile guard defenders out there. He made our basketball index first team all defense. He was the most defensively impactful point guard in the NBA this season. Offensively, we know he screens well. He cuts well. In this series, it didn't happen for him or for anybody. But from a three-point shooting standpoint, if you give him open shots, he's going to knock them down. He's not going to overperform his shot quality. He's not going to underperform a bunch. He's going to give you the result based on like what you feed him and on this team the lakers can continue to feed him good looks so i like what he brings from an iq standpoint i love his combo with lebron i love his versatility given how the lakers might approach the Schroeder, tht whatever situation caruso is a guy that can play the one or the two defensively he can even play a little bit of three he can chase dudes around screens he can play isolation defense he adds enough value and is good at what he does and can be your nominal point guard to go stand in the corner and knock down open threes as LeBron runs the plays that I'm comfortable bringing him back. And then of course, if he leaves, you're not really given any extra money to go spend elsewhere. So I am, I am all in on bringing Caruso back and I want him on the team next year. I I do like we, we talked earlier, we want everybody to like, you know, be with the Lakers roster and then you yeah. can trade them or whatever. I want Caruso on this team next year and I want him playing. Definitely. No, I, all that's well said. Again, I'm just trying to play the devil's advocate for some of these mm-hmm. guys. Um, but with Caruso, I also think that 
he's probably progressed from like a C minus as a ball handler playmaker in the pick and roll to like a C plus uh, like since in the last two years, which doesn't sound like a big jump, but I think actually is kind of going from maybe slightly below average to like slightly above average or or capable, at least. Um, I think he's shown development in that respect. So so that makes me a lot more uh, feel a lot better about it. But coming to some more guys, I'm going to come to you. You traded a first round pick and a two time back to back champion, Danny Green, who before he got hurt, was fucking killing it for the Sixers in the playoffs. So you so you traded him for this guy and your pick. And Dennis Schroeder is going to shoot 30 percent from three, get a bunch of turnovers and like fuck around with covid and and miss big games like you want this dude back he's talking to a german like publication saying he's gonna start like he hasn't even landed in america i don't know why 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 would we want dennis schroeder back at four for 84 which he already turned down so you feel good with giving dennis schroeder 22 25 million dollars a year so well yes and no i want him to be on the team so the lakers can trade him but I individually would be happy with him not playing on on court next year. <laughs> I'd be okay with that. I if it's him or a min guy, I'm gonna take Schroeder. But if there's a way to finagle some trades or something and end up with another point guard that I can trust more to shoot, I can trust more to just facilitate in like more basic point guard kind of ways. I would I would enjoy that. I think THT, if he's on the team next year, he's ready to take a step up. And if you just compare him and Schroeder head-to-head, THT's better at the things that Schroeder's supposed to be good at in a way that, you know, if, if that guy's, if that young man's trajectory continues to rise, he may be cutting into those minutes a good bit next year. And that's a situation that thinking about what Schroeder would be paid and his mentality and where he wants what he wants his role to be I can see it causing more issues than it did this year um I don't enjoy having a a point guard that I can't trust to make skip passes or to hit threes or you know we can't have a team full of players that you can go under ball screens against it's not like it's in the regular season it might work because teams just play their own default defense, but in the playoffs, that is not the type of approach that's going to yield good results. It's not going to open up your role men. It's not going to open up threes for other players. Like it's just not good. And he's not a good off ball fit. And we've seen, and part of this analysis is what have we seen the Lakers do in this full season of having him? How is the coaching staff using him off ball? Very seldomly are there times where there's more synergy going on where like you use him off ball and LeBron on ball and it like pressures the defense in different ways. It's more like he's going to go stand around and that's not, I'm not super into that. So I would be okay with him not being on the team, team next year. I agree. Uh, I'm going to try to pick up the pace here. I'm just going to give a quick comment on him. You got two bad choices. You got overpay him or you got losing asset for nothing. Mm-hmm. Hard to be a GM on those kind of decisions, but they are the decisions that sometimes are the most important because you make the less shitty decision. You, you know, you just, that's what it is. It's like bloodletting or something. Yeah. yeah. 
and this uh, is the trap with being uh, over the being a tax team. Like yeah. the Lakers have to keep these guys, yeah. and then you just in general teams end up overpaying players, and then you can't move them, and yeah. then you're just stuck. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a big rock on your contract like Lou Aldang. Uh, okay, so moving on. Schroeder. Lakers, what are you doing? You signed this clutch client, Montrez Harrell, to the mid-level last year. You could have got a couple other guys, maybe. Uh, not that a whole lot of other mid-levels worked out this year anyway, but that's neither here nor there. He got played off the floor in the playoffs. Why would you go sign a guy who clearly is not going to provide what you need from him in the playoffs? So if he opts in... You got that around your neck, too. So he opts in. Are you trying to trade him at the trade deadline or are he opts in? Are you like, all right, Trez, you're a part of the Lakers. How do you go about you want Trez back? I would prefer to trade Trez if he if he opts out, which I think he will. We don't have to worry about this. If he opts in, I see that as a big bonus for the Lakers because then they have the opportunity to trade him because he is you know he's worth money he can go out and get nine mil this year he can go make the same dollar amount he's going to make for the Lakers if he opted in but with more years likely he might go get a two or three year deal for for that MLE instead of uh getting staying with the Lakers on that player option for the same basically the same price so I want him to, you know, opt in. I would love for the team to trade him. Like you said, it's not somebody I trust in the playoffs defensively. He's a good finisher, but he's a good finisher that doesn't present you with the same opportunities to get him the ball. He's not a Dwight Howard where he's just like a standing lob threat. He is a, if he does get the ball on those lower situation, you know, lower volume, he will finish well. And, and we see that in the data. We see that on the film. But that's not really what I'm looking for. I think you can go find a better defender that you can trust to play in the playoffs more often that can finish well or well enough that can also finish lobs uh, for for cheaper than the nine mil you'd be paying him. So, again, from a money standpoint, yeah, we got to We got to keep that contract and look to trade it. But I would prefer to move on from him on court next season for the Lakers. I think Trez has always been a big energy guy. Those guys are great, but they are mm-hmm. ultimately like 10th men. And uh, I think it's pretty wild that he uh, kind of, you know, won six man of the year. At, uh, so credit to him. And and part of the reason his value is lower in L.A. is because all of our ball handlers you can go under screens against. So he's not <laughs> getting all of the like yeah. being a role man, getting catching those lobs with the runway. All that stuff isn't happening because yeah. of the rest of the roster construction so he might be more valuable on another team we might go see him opt out sign with another team and yeah. look like he did a year or two ago and that isn't because you know he's trying harder and things like that it's because the, the spacing knows the yeah. spacing the personnel might be a better fit for him so that is part of what you were hoping to get when you signed him that hasn't materialized because of some of these other pieces like caruso and schroeder and tht and and what have you all right, we talked a little bit about him earlier, but KCP, man, at times he looks like he's just running around out there, scared to shoot the ball. Um, you know, he, I don't know, he's a little slightly overpaid, da-da-da. Like, what, I don't actually don't have a ton to say bad about KCP, except that those things. He He's just a, a bit player. Yeah. So, like, you really just going to depend on a dude who does, like, four things for you for a whole season? yeah. This was, he was a good example of like a sm- small sample size last year of him being like clutch and like, you know, rise to the occasion. And then this season, like small sample size didn't perform well. It's like, ah, he can't, you know, he's in his own head. And like yeah. the playoffs give us weird, weird 
small samples that like over the course of a regular season, if you were to chop up Anthony Davis's game 40 to 56, maybe he shoots, you know, elite mid range like he did last year in the playoffs. But bigger picture, that's not him. KCP, I trust the defense. I like what he provides. But I see him as one of the few trade trips this team for sure will have. And I'm going into the offseason looking to move him. I'm okay if he comes back, but he would be something that I'm planning on on moving. I'm not going to like try to get off his deal or get away from him altogether, but he will be one of those few bullets the Lakers have to spend. And if you can get something good in return, I'm, I'm not going to say no because I want to keep him on the team. All right, along those veins, uh, along along that vein, THT. Now, I want to wrap this into a bigger question because uh, to your point about THT possibly replacing Schroeder, if you feel like Schroeder is going to come back, you want to resign Schroeder, uh, maybe we trade THT because that's, mm-hmm. again, maybe the, the next valuable bullet we, we, we have that somebody wants um, as – Good, you know, fine as a player KCP is, I don't know how many teams are like, I want that guy. Like, I need that guy around mm-hmm. this specific, you know, we again, we kind of chopped him up to fit our needs. Uh, and and it's a very specific set. But yep. Let me wrap this up into if the Kyle Lowry trade were on the table, sign and trade with Schroeder. I know you can't. Lowry. I know. you. Well, no, he Kyle Lowry, you can't sign and trade both players for each other i know it wouldn't be possible i i'm saying that up front okay. Okay. i'm I, I just want to in theory say like would you do that trade again today because we we talked about that was the trade we didn't make mm-hmm. right it was tht schroeder kcp and a pick for kyle lowry yeah i mean i, I would do it now although kyle lowry is a free agent as well that's what I'm saying. I know yeah. it's oh, not possible. Okay, okay. I gotcha, I'm just gotcha. in theory. Is this yeah, yeah, yeah. like, have we changed from where we were to where we are now? And I think yeah. I agree. I THT, if I'm running things, isn't stopping me from making a deal for a player that fits the championship window of LeBron AD together. Like I'm, I'm going all in on that. Like I'm not worried about, I don't think, I mean, you don't, you certainly don't like completely mortgage your, well, the Lakers kind of have, <laughs> we've already traded all of our picks away. We're at the point where like, well, you need to, we could like, trade the, the swaps once titles, the draft comes. Yeah. You need to start winning those titles now. <laughs> like yes. the next two, yes. three years, that's what I'm worried about. I'm not worried about keeping THT four, five, six, seven, eight years from now and thinking about what might be because part of why he's valuable currently is because of his age and because of what might be. Where he's strong is, like you said, something Shooter kind of does, or Shooter does do, maybe not quite at THT's level, but that skill set does exist. It exists in some free agents. It exists in guys you can trade for. THT has a lot of value, despite the fact that his largest weakness offensively is an area in his three-point shooting that for, we don't generally see guards suddenly make big jumps with. Brandon Ingram was an anomaly, and that was super helpful for the Pelicans. But players don't generally go from not being someone you respect and help off of from three to suddenly being a, an above-average three-point shooter in a way that might unlock other parts parts of their game. So if I'm the Lakers and I've got a good deal on the table that helps me win a title in the next year, two years, three years, I'm pulling the trigger and cashing in on the potential of THT if it helps me, like if we win a title next year because of a THT trade and then THT ends up an all-star six years from now, 
we're in the same freaking situation as all the other guys we just traded, and I'm not going to be super worried about that. So the team, the Lakers down the road might be worse because you trade THT, but we don't know that for sure. Lots could happen. Maybe they'll go sign another big free agent star and, and things are different. You got you to gotta operate as if you're trying to win titles, and I think part of that means going into the offseason looking to trade KCP and THT in your pick. And Kuzma, those are, the, the I think, the four for me to try to make improvements to the roster. Yeah, you mentioned Kuzma. So uh, he's the last like big one I want to talk about that we can get to kind of quick hitters here at the end, the rest of the guys. But, uh, you know, Kuzma, I thought, made strides this year as far as playing and with an impact on the game, despite not making shots. However, mm-hmm. still not a good offensive player it's weird he's one of those guys that should be has the ability to be uh i think with his shot selection sometimes he's just like inconsistency even Mm -hmm. he looks so good right sometimes step backs and so in rhythm and and so off on wide open shots and other times that four years in this is kyle kuzma Still an impact player when he's not making shots and when he is making shots and doing those things on defense and rebounding. That's a piece. That's a piece. But a bench piece at best yep. to me. So why do you feel about keep bringing Kuzma back on his new contract? I agree. I think he's taking strides. I, you know, he's on a, a deal that is movable and he's a piece that from what he's done this year, he is more appealing. Than, than he might have been in the past. So given the everything that, right? going on, yeah. yeah, like trade him, cash in on that. Yeah. KCB, THT pick, move those pieces in one or two trades and find guys that fit a title window in the next one to three years that can play alongside LeBron and AD. And then, you know, use your MLE, sign your mins and just it's roster construction, baby. You get like, I love it. I, that's, that's my approach right now. Well, I'm I'm excited. Well, I think that particular package, we should come back with like a couple ideas each for for guys we're targeting. I know we talked a little before we got on, but I feel like that's a, an entire podcast. So mm-hmm. um, so I agree. It's not that I actively don't want Kuzma or like get him out of here no matter what. I'm just more of the um, you can move him and he's one of your three, four bullets. Right. So it's just. Again, it's just the books, man. It's just the books. It's just the way yeah. the business runs. Yep. Uh, so a couple other guys here. We talked uh, earlier about Wes at the minimum. Tim, why would you want to say an aging guy? Clearly doesn't have the team speed, you know, the speed uh, maybe to compete with that position on a competitive basis. By the way, I think that is kind of a fair thing. Some of these guys, we, we need a little bit more speed. And so we got to be a little bit worried about like the veterans that we sign and the role that we promise to them. But that's not all on Wes's shoulders. I'm saying Wes at the minimum. Right? You want it back? Yeah, I, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm a, I'm lukewarm on West. Like he's old and getting older. Yeah. If he has a history of being a better three point shooter, we saw glimpses of that. His role was jerked around a little bit, and he was one of the guys that like seemed to kind of be okay with that and and understand it was part of the bigger picture. He wasn't a like locker room issue or somebody who needed to have a specific role. So at the men, I'm okay with it. There are other guys you can look at that might be upgrades. 
if you want something new or if if there's i mean once we start looking at free agents i'm sure i'm gonna find guys that i prefer over west but if the lakers bring west back i'm not gonna be upset about it yeah at the minimum like we can't go exactly. giving him a taxpayer yeah. mle or something crazy like that yeah. um other guys ben mclemore didn't have too big of a role on the team this year but did come in he had a, a a gun at least he was firing and i think that was at the very least valuable that's how bad it got with the the, the p- passiveness for the lakers shooters but ben yeah. mclemore i think uh, i i think i'm a no i i wasn't really into him when he came but i understood it and um but he, he's real bad on defense He's real bad on defense and he's bad off ball with rotations and chasing guys around screens, which would be his job mm. and is much harder to prop up than someone who's poor at one on one defense, but is stronger off ball. So, yeah, for that reason, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out washing my hands clean. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to just put this out there, Tim. If Costa's Antetokounmpo is on this team, I might like burn staples to the ground. Devontae Kaycock. I would prefer not to be on the roster. Hang on. Both of them are two ways, right? Yeah. I think they're t- – I'm pretty sure there's a – this could be wrong. <laughs> you know, notice this could be wrong. I'm pretty sure there's like a limit on how long you can keep two-way guys. And I right. think we've reached the limit with both. So I think they either need to get an actual roster spot or be gone. So they – it's hard for me to imagine the Lakers – not being able to sign veteran minimum guys who like Jared Dudley, who don't need to play uh-huh. um, in giving those guys like an actual roster spot. Just please like Kostas, we did not need on this team the entire season. Like, I'm sorry. He's not an NBA player. I, I like credit to that. Those guys, that family, for what I've seen, does not have a place. Kickoff, you can make an argument for as being a Trez kind of guy uh, who could build himself up to that point. But again, at best, like a 10th guy. So I would still just like, all right, just scratch those off. And like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm chasing more upside with those spots. Right. Because we know what those two are. We know Costas isn't going to play meaningful minutes. We know Kickoff, like, <laughs> like either in garbage time, I don't care who's out there, or if there are a bunch of injuries and he needs to play, things have already gone really poorly. So I'm looking with those spots more at guys that either fill some very specific void that, you know, maybe in a playoff series, there's a specific matchup where you need a Dwight guy or someone like that, that maybe doesn't play normally something, you know, of that ilk, uh, or you're chasing a young guy who maybe has some potential upside that you can tap into over the year. Though that's mm-hmm. I, I want potential or I want a very siloed specific role where they have like one NBA skill and they're really good at it. And maybe you you tap into that mm-hmm. someone who's kind of in the middle or, you know, we've seen them for a few years. They don't have that potential. It's just for the Lakers it's best given their situation to move on. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, guys, at the end of the roster. Just had to cut you real quick. Uh, OK, last couple. Right. Um, Marcus Saul. I think this is an either or. Right. I don't think Marcus Hall's coming back if Andre Drummond stays with the team. Um, I don't know why he you would. Think he retires, or you think that he like demands a trade? So uh, he's under when he for, signed for three mil. I know, I know. When he signed that contract, the way it was kind of phrased, or I heard it was that you know this is kind of a one-year contract, and he could retire if <laughs> he wants. Basically, okay. if he and, retires, and, is he on the books? I think so. 
I guess it doesn't matter because the Lakers are already well over the cap. Yeah. So and and yeah, but I just feel he was particularly he seemed to have an issue right with with Andre Drummond getting promised the starting spot, and I don't blame him. They were good with him, and they didn't struggle because he was playing worse. They got hurt. He got COVID. Yeah. You know, Braun yeah. got hurt. AD got hurt. Yeah. Massive sample, really high performance with that starting group that we had earlier in the season. And it's bullshit yeah. to say that, like, that doesn't matter. That's not real because it's not the playoffs or like that was like a legitimate, like top 10 ish lineup in the NBA for a absolutely pretty big sample size. So we've seen what he can look like. We've also seen how if you don't use him the right ways, like how you use players matters, like newsflash in yeah. basketball, how the play, the sets you run, the roles you put them in, how you run your offense and your defense matters. We've seen where his weaknesses are at three mil. Like I'd rather have him than nothing, but he probably will need to go into next year understanding what his role might be and how it might not be as large as it was earlier this past season. Yeah. And I'm not saying he, he never came in as a guy who, you know, even demanded as a, a, a role player, like I need like 10 shots a game. No, he's mm-hmm. clearly not that it's more about of a respect thing. I think than to just say, Okay, well, this guy's available. So, you know, thanks for being so understanding, Mark, and taking advantage of that. You know what I mean? Um, So I just think, like, Mark, we want you to shoot more even. Be involved. Be aggressive. Be Mark Gasol. And, and, you know, like, I know your post-ups aren't great, but we want to get you in a rhythm. Like, and honestly, Tim, with the Mark Gasol, AD, LeBron front court, like, you could put a lot of guards out there and that could succeed, I think. Absolutely. And that was a group that we also saw not work in the Phoenix series because the Suns just put eight on AD. And Gasol spacing out, great. Cam Johnson's on you you're not going to post them up with Marcus. Yeah. So, so the, the default offense of post up LeBron post up AD doesn't work given how the Suns were running things. This is an example of where the Lakers didn't take the optimal approach. What they could have done was use AD more off movement. And we saw glimpses of this. We saw periods of time, you know, three minutes within a quarter where they go to the one play three times in a row where he's in that corner. They run that corner series. He runs off a screen. Yep. Boom. Score, score, good shot, but missed it. Stuff like that. But when the Suns defended the Lakers front court of those three guys the way they did and the Lakers didn't approach it the right way, that is going to hurt the offense. That's going to make it look worse than it could have been. Um, same thing with, again, opposing team, the Suns shooting 70% on threes against that group. Like if you take that 70% and you cut it down to like 35%, it's literally a 21 point swing for for that group's minutes and that group only played like 20 minutes together in the series anyway so that takes them from like a minus 30 net rating or whatever it was to basically an even net rating even with the offense not being run optimally so that's i have so many like little frustrations because i see people being like oh this didn't work that worked (laughs) case case closed when (laughs) when we live in like the details of the game and yeah. I don't want to argue with people all day long, but you have to understand that luck is is part of shooting. So I completely yeah. derailed this conversation. Um, no, no, you're fine. But, but Gasol, three million. Yes. Yeah, I'll we're take in. It. We'll take it. So just to recap, Tim, we got LeBron, AD, Caruso, West at the minimum, Gasol, three million. That's that's uh, our first five guys. We're okay with TACP and THT, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're kind of maybe leaning toward no. 
Kuz, Schroeder, Trez, Bakramar. But we'll talk more big picture roster stuff uh, as it comes. Just kind of want to give you all a feel with how we're reacting to this this uh, end of the season. Um, mm-hmm. So Lakers are yeah. finally going to have a full offseason. They're going to have to play a full 82-game schedule. You know, we're going to ha- get to see what Drummond looks like if he if he comes back for, uh, with the whole offseason of them planning with him having training camp. Um, so, you know, it's hard to feel bad. Or, this season feels bad. Of course, it's not a shock to me. They didn't repeat. It sucks. They yeah. played in a fucking pandemic all season. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, man, any party shots kind of the last uh, couple weeks. Yeah. Been I thinking about. Think- you know, we've learned a lot about how the pandemic and how the quick turnaround impacted this team. <laughs> Don't play in the Olympics. Like, like you get all the rest oh, you need. No. Everybody take that rest. Get get healthy. I don't want to have more carryover of the injuries and, and all that, you know, extra stress on the body with the last short turnaround turning into the same thing next season. So that's what i'm worried about from a player standpoint i think we can another probably we can dig into maybe what we want individual guys to work on improving and we certainly have ideas from a trade standpoint i know i have a list um of potential <laughs> ones uh from a free agency standpoint we have you know we'll be able to dig into that um when we talk about wanting a guy back or maybe not wanting a guy back it's you know not in a vacuum you have to say all right well then if not them then who or if you're going to trade him for what? So we'll, Ow, we'll yeah. be providing all that. Um, this is, I mean, for me, it's a it's a lot of fun because you get to hypothesize and you get to say, oh man, <laughs> we can use this guy so much better than he was used in wherever, things like that. So God, we have a lot of fun stuff coming your way. Um, but until then, I don't know. It's it's good to talk to you, Tom. I, we had a little time off, but uh, Lakers good, basketball yeah. doesn't sleep. Nah, like I said, I had a week and I was like, oh, I don't have to think about the Lakers. I still watch a couple of playoff games, but uh, yeah, man, we'll be back with your ears soon. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, if you want in our discord that Tim mentioned earlier, talking trades, free agency, all that DM one of us, a five star review on Apple or uh, wherever you listen to podcasts and uh, send that to us in our DMs on Twitter at Creative Destroyer and at Tim underscore MBA. Until then, we'll talk to you all next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.